of you know the game. Some of you maybe never heard of it. It's a fantastic game that we used to play on youth group trips because it can pass the time while in the van. And so the purpose of the game, if you're playing, is to try to figure out what can enter in through the green glass doors. There are certain things that are allowed to enter, and there are some things that are not. And so let me give you some examples, and maybe you can figure out what the pattern is, what is allowed to enter and what isn't. So trees. Trees are allowed to enter the green glass doors, but not leaves. You can have a foot. A foot can enter through green glass doors, but not a shoe. An apple can enter through the green glass doors, but not an orange. And so at this point in the van, we would go, okay, does anyone have any guesses? And instead of just saying, well, I think this is the answer, you then have to explain. And so it might be, well, maybe like a chicken can enter through, but not a turkey. And we'd say yes or no. And so sometimes that would help people and sometimes it would not. And so a moon can enter, but not a sun. The color yellow can enter through the green glass doors, but not blue. The football, football or basketball could enter, but not hockey. Sunday school could enter through the green glass doors, but not church. Or if you want to be a little bit more on the biblical side, we could look at the New Testament books. There are 27 books in the New Testament, but only five of them can enter through the green glass door. Matthew and Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Colossians. Those are the five books. The others cannot. So what is it that allows something to make it in through the green glass doors? I'm going to let you sit in that for a little while. And some of you are like, I want to know right now. <laughs> like, like, I need to know the answer to this. Some of you, you already know it. And so you're kind of smiling as you're hearing all these things. Some of you, just from what I told you, you've been able to figure it out. Like, you know what enters through the green glass doors. Some of you gave up a long time ago and do not care at all. And that's totally okay. But that last one I told you, Colossians gets to enter through. I want to look at the book of Colossians chapter 1 so you can open up your Bibles there because we have been looking at this over the last few weeks and we're actually going to jump into part of chapter 2 this week. But over the last few weeks, we've understood that this church in Colossae, that the letter is being written to, Paul never visited, but he's heard about you know, their faith and their hope and their love. He's been praying for their knowledge so that they'd be able to persevere. He's been hearing this message that, okay, they understand who Jesus is, but they're wanting to pull in things from the past or things that culture and saying, this is what I really need to be saved. But Paul is saying, Jesus is enough. He is supreme and you need to place your faith in him. And so today in our little passage that we're looking at, he's going to tell them a little bit more about himself. And I wonder, have you ever trusted the message but not the messenger. Like someone has come and told you some sort of information and you hear it and you believe it, but then you're a little bit kind of iffy because the person who tells you, you're like, well, they have a history of making things bigger or sometimes they're not completely true. And so the things that you've heard itself, you're like, I could believe that, but you're not 100% sure because of the messenger. And here Paul is saying, Jesus can be trusted, but so can I. So let me tell you just a little bit. And so we're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verses two, or 24 through 2-5. This is our section that we're looking at today. So in its entirety, here's what Paul says. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. 
To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And so here's this section. And so if we're looking at Paul, just a little bit about himself, here's one thing that he says. He says, I am a servant to the church. I'm a servant to the church. In fact, in verse 25, he says, I have become its servant by the commission of God. Like God has told me to do this. He has appointed to me to share specifically with the Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, to share this message all over the world that they might know who he is. And his lifestyle, if you were to look at Paul, it's definitely, I'm doing what God wants. It's not always just in the moment this would be easy or this is what I would like in the moment. He is serving the people of God, but he does it because he loves the church. And again, the church is the people. It's not a building. And so he loves people, but not just people who look like him or dress like him or think like him or even like the same things. And if you are a believer in Christ, he loves you. And if you are yet to be a believer, he still loves you, hoping that you'll catch the love of Jesus, that you'll catch the truth of Jesus for your life. Oh, he loved the church because she is the bride of Christ. And as he taught, he could also tell you that he experienced how together as the church, we get to sharpen one another. We're not just doing this by ourselves. We get to encourage one another. And we carry each other when someone can't take that next step. Like he would tell you from his own experience the benefit of the church. And so Paul, he loved Jesus and that love compelled him to love and serve the church. But being a servant of the church doesn't mean that everything comes easy. And so while Paul served, he also suffered for the church. Like that's what he did. He suffered for the church. And maybe you're familiar with the amount of times that Paul was beaten or he was left for dead or he was imprisoned all for the sake of Jesus. And in fact, listen just in a couple of these passages, what he talks about in suffering for the church. In verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. So we can just stop there. Rejoicing in suffering like, that sounds kind of crazy. It's not just because he loves getting beat up. Hey, I want to go through this again. Like, that's not what he's saying when he's saying, I am rejoicing because of the sufferings. Like, how could he rejoice amongst this thing that is going on that none of us want to experience? Well, for one, he knows the result of that suffering. Like, he knows that because of what he's going through, people are still getting to hear the gospel. They are coming to know Jesus, and their lives are completely changed by him. Not just now, but also for eternity. And so because of that, he pushes through. He rejoices in the sufferings that he's going through because he knows the outcome. And you and I, we can probably relate in some manner of going through temporary difficulties because you know of the eventual outcome. Like maybe you've been to the gym like once or twice in your life 
and you've ever done a workout or you've been weightlifting. And, and I will tell you, some of you enjoy the entire experience. Like there's a very few of you that really do like the entire thing. Most of us though are like, oh, this is awful for the moment, but you know what's going to happen. Like by working out or whatever, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be stronger, whatever that looks like. And so you can push through the temporary difficulties because of the outcome. Or maybe we could talk about diets. You're like, oh, like that cake or that pop looks really good at the moment. And so you're putting it off, though, because of the eventual outcome that's going to happen. You can push through the difficulties. Or we could even talk about moments in parenting. Like There are times in parenting that this is not really what you want to do, but you're going to use that extra patience. You're going to take that time to be able to help mold your child to show them love. Because, again, you know the eventual outcome of raising up this child in the way of God. And so there are these temporary difficulties that we know what will produce the outcome. And so here is Paul, again, not loving going through just the suffering, but he's able to rejoice because he knows what is coming on the other side. I would also tell you that he's able to rejoice Because in his suffering, it connects him with Jesus in a way that nothing else does. Like, just listen to some of these other verses. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Or in the book of Romans, he wrote this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Peter talks about this suffering in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, well, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Or even Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think that Paul is able to rejoice in this suffering because it connects him to Jesus, and he knows that as he makes it through this, the glory that is to come, and it far outweighs what he's going through here. And so we read that, okay, he rejoices in the suffering that's going on, but there's a section of verse 24 that if you caught it, just kind of makes you go, what? Like again, looking at verse 24, it says that, uh, it says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, the church. Now you might read that and go, what? Like, We understand that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It was once and for all. So what does it mean that there's something that's lacking? I'll tell you that commentators go quite a few different areas as they talk about this, but they all agree on this point. They would tell you that it is not saying that Christ's death lacked something we need. So understand that right from the beginning. But some of their thoughts are that maybe Paul's suffering or even our suffering completes the suffering of Christ. Or some people will tell you that Jesus suffers with the body 
And so when the body still suffers, so does Jesus. Or some people just say, you know what, it simply connects us to Christ's suffering. I heard this illustration by Michael DeFazio, professor at Ozark Christian College. He said, imagine that I'm holding a marker, and inside this marker has all of the ink that it needs, okay? Some people figured out how to do that, but in and of itself, this marker will not write. It is complete. It lacks nothing, but it still needs someone else to use it, to be able to write so that the ink can come out. And so, in the same way, Jesus has done everything that is needed for salvation, but it still requires people to hear it. It still requires people to believe it. And so because of that, suffering is still going to happen. It's still going to come as we finalize the salvation of, of souls because the gospel is being shared and not everyone loves that. I will just tell you that no matter what the exact meaning that Paul is talking about in that section, here's what he's saying, that I continue to suffer for the church. And in fact, down in verse 29, he even uses this idea, to, the end, to this end I labor. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I am struggling. In fact, one of those words has some boxing language and the idea that I am being repeatedly hit in the head. Have you ever felt that way? Like, have you ever felt that way representing Jesus, that maybe there are certain things or certain situations or certain people that just kind of makes you feel beat up? In those moments... Might I remind you of the truth that Paul spoke in verse 29? He says, even struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So he says, yes, I'm struggling, but I'm not on my own. Jesus gives me his strength so that I might persevere. There may be times that you feel down and out. Man, I would love more of his strength, but he promises, I will give you what you need. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He says, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And so Jesus promises his strength to those who come to him. And Paul, he is able to persevere because he loves the church but also because of the strength of Jesus that is within him. So up to this point, Paul is telling the people, hey, again, I'm serving the church, I'm suffering, but then he switches a little bit, and he talks about this message that God has commissioned him to. In verse 25, it talks about this idea that I have made or been told to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I'm going to pass along to you the entire message, not just part of it. I want it to be fully known to you. So what exactly is this message that he shares? Well, you need to understand that this message is a mystery. It's a mystery. Maybe you heard that word a few times as we read it. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of mystery. Maybe you think of kind of a whodunit kind of story. You're like, okay, I'm going to read this. I'm going to watch it. You're trying to figure out who's the one that committed the crime or who's the one that committed the murder. Like whatever it is, you're kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, maybe when you hear the word mystery, you think of something that's kept secret, secret, like in magic. Ooh, the illusion. I have no idea how it's done. And so it's a mystery. Or some child comes up and asks you something that you don't know the answer to. And you're like, I don't know. It's a mystery. You know, maybe that's what comes to your mind when you think of that word. But the Greek word here, when it's used, means this, that something that is revealed to you, this mystery is something that is revealed to you. So it's kind of like a secret that you're on the inside of. You know what it is. And so at the beginning, we played a little bit of green glass doors. 
not for a long amount of time, but very short. And again, some of you knew the answer. I am now going to tell you what it is that allows something to pass into the green glass doors. And some of you who know are like, no, you can't share it with people, but that's the way it is, okay? So green glass doors, what enters in is the word has to have two of the exact same letter back to back. So green has two E's next to each other. Glass has two S's. Doors has two O's next to each other, okay? It can't be two letters in the same word that are apart. They have to be next to one another. And so some of the illustrations, a tree can make it, but not a leaf. You know, a foot can make it, but not a shoe. An apple can make it, but not an orange. Yellow, not blue. Football or basketball, not hockey. Sunday school, but not church. Or even Matthew, Philippians, Thessalonians, Colossians, all of those have two letters next to one another. Now, I will tell you, if you're in the van and you're playing like for an hour and you still can't figure it out, man, that is frustrating. Or sometimes if you're playing for that long and it finally hits you, you're like, why did I not know that? Like in five minutes, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But that's the way it is. I will tell you the next time you play, it's a lot of fun because you now know the answer. And so you watch everyone else who is struggling to figure out the pattern. But here's the thing. The next time that you play Green Glass Doors, if you ever do, you already know the mystery. Like the answer has now been revealed to you. And that's what Paul is saying about the message that he's preaching, that it's been revealed to you. The difference is, with this mystery that God has revealed, there would have been no other way to figure it out other than God telling it to you. With the game, if you play it long enough, sometimes you can figure it out. But this mystery is what God has revealed to them. So what exactly is this mystery? Well, look at verses 26 and 27 again says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or if you jump down to verses 2 and 3 in chapter 2, it says, my purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what exactly is this mystery that is being revealed? Well, it's Christ. It's Christ that now gets to live in each person. It's Christ so that you may have hope. It's Christ to everyone, which includes the Gentiles. It is Christ who wants to give all wisdom and knowledge to those who follow after him. This is a mystery that now has been made known to those who believe. He's the conclusion of this Old Testament story that many didn't even know they were looking for an answer for. But now, after they see it, they're like, aha, I look back and see all the way up to this point. And can you imagine even the excitement as you were waiting for the conclusion, and now you see it, like here it is. God's message was revealed. It was made known to all who would listen. And that message is still being revealed to those who will listen today. And that's why missionaries go all over the earth to share this message. It's why churches everywhere open up the scriptures each week to speak the name of Jesus, to tell the story of Jesus and how he died to save you. It's why we share our faith to others when we're in in our homes and at work and at school and everywhere else that we may come in contact with others. People, they cannot respond unless they hear the good news, the good news being revealed to them. 
And so Paul, he's revealing this mystery that Christ has come so that we might be saved. That's the message that he's preaching to the people in Colossae. But then he also states kind of what his goal is. Here's my purpose, and that's this, that the message, it leads to maturity. All right, the message leads to maturity. Paul knows that what Jesus has done, it should lead to a response. And so not just the response of, hey, I put my faith in you, that is a response that it should lead to. But then we ought to grow in our faith, leading to maturity. Whenever you hear that word maturity, it doesn't just mean getting older, because you can probably realize, you think about some people, that they've gained age, but not so much maturity. Like, there's a difference there, okay? Um, I know in youth groups, sometimes there were passages or lessons that we would teach that maybe were a little bit more deeper on guy-girl issues, or there were times that there would be a text that talked about circumcision. And at those moments, I'd say, okay, middle school boys, all right, or i just say middle schoolers, we need to be a little bit more mature as we're looking at this text today, all right? Not just in years, but let's like see what it is. What it is with this idea of maturity is as a person is growing in Jesus, you ought to gain knowledge and wisdom, but it doesn't stop there. It then leads to the way that you live. There are changes that happen. It's not I have everything figured out or I know it all, but you see something changing with the spiritual maturity. And so Paul, he wants the church to mature. So what does he do to help them do this? Well, in verse 28, he says this, we proclaim him, which is Christ. It says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. I actually like the translation, we may present everyone mature in Christ even better than perfect, but that's our goal, that you would get this. And then if you go down to verse four and five at the end of this section, he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. He says, for though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit, and I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So what is he doing to help them mature? First off, he is proclaiming Christ. You have to become mature in Christ. You need to know the truth. And the longer that you are a purposeful Christian, and I say that because that doesn't just mean coming and sitting and that's all it is. As you are seeking God and who he is, the more you will learn who Jesus is through teaching, but also through experience. Like you will encounter him again and again. And as you do that, it changes you. You mature. But then Paul doesn't just proclaim Christ. He also says that we caution or we warn against false teachings so that no one may come in and deceive you. Other gods that are being preached, they are not real. Jesus plus the past or the culture, that is not true. And so what is maturity? What helps you to grow? That you know him who is true and you know what is false so that you will not fall into it. And so let me ask those of you in this room or watching right now, if you are a Christian right now and you would take a step back and look at your life, what would you determine your spiritual maturity is at the moment? Like, would you put yourself kind of on the level of an infant? The idea that you just recently chose Jesus, and so you have just begun this relationship with him, and everything is still new. Would you place yourself maybe in the category of being a toddler? You're kind of getting your legs underneath you. You're kind of building a good foundation. Would you say you're at the point where you're kind of like an elementary student, where you're beginning to think, see things connect? The Word of God is making sense with some of this. You are solid on some of the main points, the main issues. 
Would you classify yourself maybe as a teenager or a young adult where you are critically thinking about life and you can articulate your beliefs well? Would you place yourself maybe in an, as an older adult that you're always learning, you've never got it all figured out, but now you're heavily investing in other people as well? Here's some questions maybe to help you evaluate where you are in that. Like how much of your Word of God intake occurs just through the sermon every week? You ask this, do you see specific habits changing from when you first chose Christ up until now? How much discussion about God or His love or His ways occurs in your household? Do you continually see how a biblical worldview affects every area of your life and not just this religious section? Do people come to ask you for biblical advice? Or do they come to you when they're going through some difficult circumstances? Paul, he preaches, and we want to continue to preach the message of Christ so that as you stand among others, you might live as mature, knowing that knowledge leads to action. And as we continue through our letter of Colossians, we'll get a lot more into the how to live in maturity, like what is God doing in us to help us become more mature? We'll look at that here in a few weeks. But for now, do you hear how he's saying, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to stay stagnant. I want you to be growing in your faith. And in that very final verse that we looked at today, he talked about how he looks forward to seeing them orderly and firm in their faith. Those are actually descriptive words referencing troops for battle. He wants the Colossian church to be ready. So South Rock, here's a question. If Paul visited us today, what would he see? If he walked through these doors, what would he see? Would he say, I get that this group of people, they're not perfect, but they are growing in maturity? Or would he look around and go, you're a little bit lower than maybe where you should be? It's just a question to think about. And maybe this week, may each of us strive to grow in our own maturity level and make that a priority. And it's not by working harder. We do that by drawing close to God. We draw close to Him and let Him work in us and through us. So this message that we're looking at that Paul preached is still the message that we live today. Finding Jesus as the good news is being revealed to each one of us and following Him each day while we mature. So here's what I want. At the end of our service today, I just want you to be able to pray in your seats for a moment. You can pray by yourself. You can pray with someone else. You can pray together as an entire family. You can pray quietly. You can pray out loud. And even if you're the only ones praying out loud around you, that is okay. Don't stop doing that, okay? But maybe there's something going on in your life that, again, you've just been real busy and you haven't stopped and then you just go, I need to give this up to God. And so now I'm giving you space to do that. Or maybe as we're preaching this and you've heard Jesus revealed to you like maybe this is the first time you're like, I want him. I need to know how to respond. You can pray at your seats. You can go to the prayer room. You can talk with someone there. You can pray by yourself. Maybe as we've been talking about this idea of maturity, maybe your prayer is, God, will you help me in the next step of that? That I just continue to follow after you. Maybe part of your prayer is this suffering that I'm going through. Father, will you continue to give me the strength because I cannot do this by myself. And so maybe you're praying for yourself. Maybe you're praying for us as a church. Maybe you're praying for someone else. You're actually praying over them and they pray over you. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to God, the one who is supreme, and lay it all at his feet. So I want you to pray right where you're at for a couple minutes 
and then we'll continue on. So let's pray. for us. And I thank you that you are supreme, that we can place our faith completely in you. You are that firm foundation. God, I pray that this message, this life-giving message would be one that we continue to reveal to others. And I am thankful that we live in a time that it has been revealed. I'm thankful for those who have spoken the truth into us that has helped us to choose you. Father, I'm thankful that your energy is placed within us. Your spirit is within us. And so whatever suffering that we may be going through, God, we know that we're not doing it by ourselves. And so help us as we continue to take one step at a time. Father, I pray over us as a church. I pray over each individual, God, that you would help us just to continue in our walk with you, continue to mature. God, that we get to, man, we reap the benefits of that, of what that looks like to walk hand in hand with you. God, that's not why we do it. We do it because we love you. God, we too want to be a servant of the church. We want to be a servant of you. And the way we live, I pray that it shines to others. God, just thank you for this opportunity to meet together as a family. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.